0: How many of you have sworn you will never fly? Never fly. No no airplanes for you. Anybody? No airplanes for you? Anybody? Anybody? You're not going to raise your hand. It's okay. All right? I promise you, you wouldn't be the only one. How many of you have flown before, though? You've flown somewhere before. All right. It's like 99%, except a couple people wouldn't raise their hand about the other one. All right? It works. All right? Uh, One of the things that if you fly a lot, you get accustomed to and you kind of ignore, unfortunately, we ignore, are the... Uh, beginning part where the flight attendant comes out and give us all the instructions for what happens, what we're supposed to do in case there's an emergency, right? You hear it more than once, you kind of zone out, or at least I do. I put my headphones on, I'm ready to go, and just ready to take off. But if you've been on a plane, you've heard this statement or something like it. Oxygen and air pressure are always being monitored. In the event of decompression, an oxygen mask will automatically appear in front of you. To start the flow of oxygen, pull the mask towards you. Place it firmly over your nose and your mouth. Secure the elastic band behind your head and breathe normally. (laughs) If it drops out of the air, I'm not breathing normally at this point. Although the bag does not inflate, oxygen is flowing to the mask. Tell this next part to a mom. If you're traveling with a child or someone requiring assistance, secure your mask first, then assist the other person. I know why, but just it's a tough one. Keep your mask on until an informed crew member advises you to remove it. Now, I have flown many times. I've gotten to the point where I just kind of block it out. I know what they're going to say, or at least I think they do, and I'm, I'm ready to go. But if there is an emergency, here's what I want. I want that equipment to work. I want that oxygen to drop out of the air and that little mask so that I can grab it and I can put that thing on. Oxygen mask would drop. My blood pressure would skyrocket, right? And so would yours. And I want the benefit of the oxygen when I need it in the emergency, but not a moment before, do you? You don't want that to drop in case you absolutely must have it. One pastor said this, Prayer for many people is like an oxygen mask. We're glad it's available. You're not quite sure how to use it. And you hope that in an emergency, you will suddenly be an expert at it. Because many of us, our prayer lives do catapult into existence in the middle of tragedy, in the middle of change, in the middle of suffering, in the middle of tragedies. We jump to that. Now, we've been walking through these words from the hill in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. We've been walking through this for quite some time. We might finish it before the end of the year. Uh, We're going to keep on pressing forward. But one of the sermons that we looked at, or one of the segments we looked at, was Matthew 6, 9 through 13, which is Jesus teaching the disciples the model prayer. He says, don't pray like the Pharisees, but let me teach you how to pray. And he teaches us, and what we have memorized, many of us, and recite as the Lord's Prayer wasn't simply for us to learn and memorize, it was for us to learn the model of. And one of the things we said several weeks ago as we looked at the, the teaching of the Lord's Prayer is that The bottom line is Jesus was teaching kingdom prayers by kingdom people. He was saying, let's pray some kingdom prayers. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If that's not a big prayer request, I don't know what is. You do your will on this earth as you would desire for it to happen in heaven. They're kingdom prayers by kingdom people. And so, as we walk through that, we, we talked about reasons why. I'm not going to go back through the entire sermon, but it's important as we walk into today's why do we not pray? Why is it not more a part of the fabric of many of our lives or our daily lives? Quite honestly, the practice of prayer is simply not taught. We misunderstand the concept, it's for emergency purposes, it's emergency need based. Another reasons why some don't pray is prayer seems mysterious. Therefore, it's, it's unattainable. How, how do we do that? I'm not sure. I'm a little confused by it. One of the reasons why people don't pray, and I say is maybe the top of the list, is we've prayed before, and we didn't get the answer that we prayed for. We've prayed for healing. It didn't happen the way we expected. We prayed for this to move, and it didn't move. We prayed for this to take place, and so we say, you know what? If God's not going to answer that one, I just want to offer any of them. But today, in light of Jesus' teaching on the Lord's Prayer, he continues to remind us to come to him as a heavenly father. And so Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 11. We're also going to be in Luke chapter 11. One of the beautiful things that we have sometimes in the Gospels is we have Matthew, Mark, or Luke um, are giving us their eyewitness of of a moment. And you'll hear a varying, an additional pieces of information to add to the teaching. And so this morning, I think it's important to merge these two, uh, if we can, of Matthew chapter 7 and Luke 11, because Jesus gives some extra examples in Luke 11 that he doesn't give that we don't have in Matthew 7. But Matthew 7, familiar to many of us. Ask, actually let's read this together. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Pretty familiar. Not something that we would go, man. I've never heard that before. Maybe if you're brand new to church, that might be the case. But this teaching here, you can even put in the acronym today at the beginning: Ask, ask, seek, knock. Beautifully, just all three of those, acronym, ask, seek, knock. And Jesus walks through, and as a reminder here, we're going to go back and look at ask, seek, and knock for just a moment. But what Jesus then does is he gives a common sense example of this teaching. Verse 9-11, through he says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, Jesus again speaks to God. I want us to keep seeing this as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount. It's going to be so important. Remember, the disciples are hearing this for the first time on a hillside. Jesus is teaching, giving this massive amount of instruction. Now, for the next couple of years, they may put some of this in the back of their minds because Jesus is going to be with them. He's going to be walking with them. But in a couple of years, Jesus Christ is going to be crucified. He's going to be buried. He's going to be raised from the dead. And then not long after that, he's going to ascend into heaven, leaving the Holy Spirit in each of their lives. But they've been walking with Jesus and now he's going to be gone and they've been charged to take the message of Jesus throughout the world. They were going to need to know how to ask, seek, and knock. These are imperative teachings. They were going to need to know how to not judge, how to not give way to anger in their lives. These are all practical teachings that are made all the more practical after the resurrection of Jesus. But Jesus says something here. He says, if you then who are evil, you go, I'm not evil, you're sinful, so am I. We're all sinful, we're broken by sin. He says, if then you are sinful, broken, if you give good gifts, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? A dad with a three-year-old son had just gone through the routines of getting the child to bed, if you've ever tried to get a three-year-old to bed. I don't know if you have routines. When our kids were little, we we had routines. But every once in a while, there's one of those nights where the kid just, just you know, the child just wouldn't go to sleep, right? And you go in, you do the routine, and you tell them a story, and you give them a hug, and you answer questions, and you give them goodnight kisses four or five times, and you come in, you come out, and finally, after a long, hard day, you, maybe you get a chance to put your feet up for a moment, and you, you sit back, and all of a sudden, the little boy just says, drink of water and you and all your parental wisdom you say son grandchild whoever the child is just just go to sleep real calmly right first time second time a few minutes later a little bit louder dad can, can I have a drink of water son I said be quiet and go to sleep a little bit more stern that time aren't we a few minutes later there's silence daddy please give me water and the dad just realized it's not getting anywhere so I'm not sure of your form of discipline but in my house it would have sounded something like this son if you make one more peep out of that room I'm going to come spank you you could hear a pin drop in that moment couldn't you But then, as the story goes, then the dad heard. Dad, when you come in here to spank me, could you bring me some water? (laughs) Here's what you know at that point you know the kid's thirsty. You know the kid has a true desire because the child is being persistent. They didn't just ask once, they ask a couple times. They're seeking, they're knocking. They don't have a door, but they've got a voice and they know, man, I gotta keep asking. But how much more does your heavenly father who loves you wanna give you what you need? At times in scripture, as I said, there are parallel teachings here and this just falls right in line In Luke chapter 11, in this same idea, it was said this way and recorded for us this way from Luke. He said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me loaves, three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him and he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Now, a couple of cultural differences. First of all, Jesus was speaking to a people who, they did not have multiple rooms with their kids in one room. Their kids slept in the same room as their family members. So the parable has weight and understanding of them. But also, he says, it's at midnight. Now, I know in our culture, some of you are, might be in this room some, uh, what do they call them, night owls? And midnight to you is like the chiming hour to start getting things done, right? I know there's some folks in this room, no matter your age, I know folks that they just, man, I just, you know, midnight, uh, I, you know, in the first service we had a, several college students, I know we're home from, for, for Labor Day weekend, and I know midnight to them, they're just getting going, right? They're just, oh man, it's time to wake up, it's time to get going. But midnight, if you've ever been to a country that does not have electricity, here's what you know, you eat dinner. It gets dark. You go to bed. And so when midnight rolls around, it is late, and you are deep in sleep. And Jesus says, a friend comes to a friend's house and knocks on his door at midnight and says, can you help me out? I've got a friend who showed up, and I have nothing to give him. The guy says, my kids are in bed with me. You're going to wake everybody in the house up. I tell you, verse 8, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, Yet because of his impudence, now this is a very strong word. He says he's not getting up because he's friend. He's getting up because this guy will not stop. He's not getting up because he goes, oh, you're my buddy. I'm going to go get you a couple of loaves of bread. Go take him to your friend. He's not, he's getting up because this guy is driving him crazy. That's impudence. It's audacity. It is boldness. He will rise and he will give him whatever he needs. Verse 9, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. This morning, as we walk through this, I want to ask you to do something I didn't do in the first service. I want to ask you to do something this morning as we're thinking through this. There's times when I'll sit down across from somebody or at a group at a table and I'll ask, you know, what's a prayer request that you have going on in your life? And and inevitably somebody will say, well, I just, I don't have much going on right now. Can I ask you this morning to not give me a Sunday school reply to this message? That's what I call a Sunday school answer. Somebody asks you something in Sunday school when you were young and you, they say they expect to reply and every answer is Jesus, right? And you're always right. You get it right every time. This morning, I want you to push past that you're sitting in church, that the pastor's preaching, and I want you to really evaluate in your life right now, what is my need? And don't tell me you don't have one. Please, I've got them. You you may have a spiritual need, an emotional need, a physical need. And I want you to begin thinking about that thing through the lens of this verse this morning. Because my hope is that if we will think of that thing or that person or that moment or that upcoming moment, if we'll think of that thing now on the front end, we can lay this blanket of teaching on top of that for you this morning, for me. But please, let's say, Pastor, I, I don't have many prayer requests right now. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You have needs. You have family members who do not know Christ. You have children who are far from the Lord. You have family members who are sick. You have neighbors who are distant from you from, for whatever reasons. You have brokenness in finances. You have worries of bills. You have worries of retirement. You, you have them. So let's put that in front of us as we look at this. Ask, seek knock asking implies urgency let's look at these three asking implies urgency when we go to someone and we ask them something and we ask them more than once there's a sense of urgency back to the little boy wanting some water in the middle of the night it's an urgent need it's something that's taken place it is the simplest of these three the ask seek and knock But it is interesting, all three of these verbs, ask, seek, and knock, are in the same verb tense, which is important. They are present tense, but they are also in the form of continuous action. So this is not ask, leave it alone, seek, back up, knock, and don't knock anymore. This is ask, 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 keep on asking, seek, 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 keep on seeking, knock, 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 keep on knocking. Don't stop. Why? Because there is a heavenly father who knows your greatest need. And whatever that need is right here in this room, he knows it. We begin by asking. We then turn to seeking, Jesus says. Seeking turns asking into an activity of pursuit. It is one of movement. You you can't seek by sitting still. You can't play hide and seek without somebody seeking, coming to find someone. It is a pursuit of someone or something. It is not simply praying, God, would you give me a job, and I'll sit in my living room and hope that the job comes my way, but I'll never fill out an application. God, would you give me an A on my next test, but I will never study. Seeking implies pursuit of. Not because we don't believe the Heavenly Father doesn't know our needs, but because He does know our needs, He will begin to meet our needs, and we need to begin pursuing Him to be on the same place. We're not seeking as if we go, well, does He know? He is a Heavenly Father. He's the creator of the universe. We're not wondering if God in heaven can meet the need. Rather, he knows that the Father, we know that the Father will not mislead us, so we're pursuing the will of the Father. We're seeking. And then we're knocking. Knocking implies desperation. Knocking on and on and on at a door, again, signifies utter earnestness. Just a perhaps, this moment of desperation. Now, we don't usually, in today's society, sadly, we don't knock on our neighbor's doors a lot, do we? Now, I've got neighbors across the street, a couple teenagers that have grown up with my sons. They don't knock, they just walk in, right? But if somebody knocks on my door, in the middle of a day, maybe it's a Sunday afternoon, we're having, trying to have a little bit of downtime, you know, you know one of our reactions If we stay quiet, they'll go away. (laughs) I'm not going to ask you if you've ever done that. I'll stay alone in that. But if if they, they, and then they just keep knocking. Now listen, if somebody comes to your door, a, a kid doing a prank in the middle of the night, they run by and they do what? Ring the doorbell, take off. This is not this attitude. This is a coming to the Heavenly Father. Ask, seek, and knock. That's how the guy woke the guy up in the middle of the night. He didn't wake him up by going, "Excuse me, I've got a need. Could you come meet it?" No. He's, "Hey, ma'am. Hey, impudence! Remember? I'm going to drive you crazy if you'll come answer the door. If you... No, really, I'm going to keep knocking. You're waking the kids up. Really? Am I? All right, great." It's time for you to answer the door. Charles Spurgeon said this about prayer. He said, brethren, how many times do we ask of God and have not because we have not waited enough for him to answer the door? We knock a time or two at the gate of mercy, and as no friendly messenger opens the door, we go our own way. Too many prayers are like boys' runaway knocks, given, and then the giver is away before the door can even be opened. And this is not simply New Testament teaching. This is an Old Testament uh, idea as well of persistence in coming to the Lord. The prophet Isaiah said to the people of Israel, he said, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all day long and all night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. Listen to this. And give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Do you hear that reference? He says, we will not rest, and we will not let him rest until he establishes Jerusalem. If that's not persistence, I don't know what is. Declaring as a prophet, don't let the Lord rest. (laughs) Just keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Many of us, at times in our lives, we offer what I would call drive-by prayers. We just, God, you're holy, you're good, help me through the day, amen. But the New Testament teaching regarding prayer reveals a truth that as we develop a deeper dependence upon prayer and we remain persistent, that we have give, been given the greater, greatest answer to prayer, is, which is this. The greatest answer to all of our prayer is this. We need more Jesus. And he will reveal our needs. And he will meet them. We need more of God, of who he is, of his teaching, of of those things being met. met. Scripture says this, let us then with confidence. What's that word? Say it with me. Confidence. Confidence. Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. And find grace in times of need. You see this picture of God as Heavenly Father that Jesus is teaching in Matthew 5-7 through is essential for the disciples post the ascension, but it is essential for us 2,000 years later. My daughter and wife are reading this week in the story of Thomas, uh, just the story of in the, the, biblical te- the biblical person of Thomas and that he eventually led and went to India um, and became a missionary there by, by God's charge. And that, that years later, hundreds of years later, some missionaries showed up and they began preaching the message of Jesus Christ. And someone said, we know this teaching. And they said, how do you know this teaching? And they said, we're disciples of Thomas. And this is what he taught our family and our family and our family. Do you believe Thomas or Paul or Matthew or Peter in the middle of their persecution, in the middle of their lives have taken the gospel, found themselves alone. God, I'm asking you, I'm seeking, I'm knocking because you told me to. I was there on the hill, I heard you say it, you commanded us to and to keep doing this and I need this as I march forward in my faith, I'm going to ask, I'm going to seek, I'm going to knock and you know the greatest need that I have is to be closer to you so as I draw closer to you meet the needs that I have and I do this with confidence, approach the throne of grace with confidence. The more we find ourselves in obedience to God's word, the more our prayers are birthed out of desires that are pleasing to him. A, a bad picture I have of persistence is a toddler in a grocery store. Man, I'm glad I don't have toddlers. But teenagers sure have a way of doing the same thing. It's a little more sly, right? They've, they've figured out the routine. And let's don't laugh. We adults have the same methods. We just have figured it out even better. But a three-year-old, you've seen it, you've experienced it, all these wonderful things that are $2 or less that are placed at eye level of a three-year-old, and for some reason in some moment of insanity, you thought it was a good idea to let them walk through the last little bit of the store. No, keep them strapped in, just keep them strapped in, all right? And they, they're they down on the floor, they start crying, you're not giving it to them, you pick them up, you put them in the thing, you buckle them in, please buckle them in, and you take them out to the car, and you unbuckle them from this, and buckle them into that, they're still screaming, they still will was on the second bottom row they still want it but you as a parent know what's best and in that moment you know that that's not the best thing for them in the moment you know that's not the thing that they ultimately need but they're still going to ask and they're still going to seek and they're still going to knock but know this The reason that we can ask, this is essential, the reason that we can ask, seek, and knock is because Jesus Christ was offered to us by a heavenly Father who loves you and I enough. He offered his Son to come to this earth to live a perfect life. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence because that Jesus Christ was offered as a payment for our sinfulness. Crucified, buried, and left for dead. But on the third day, he rose from the grave, conquering sin and death, Scripture tells us. He then poured more into his followers. He then ascended into heaven. But because a holy God sent a Savior, you can ask because you are adopted into his family through Jesus Christ. You know what I've never seen at the grocery store? Well, I've never experienced at the grocery store. I've never experienced a toddler who's not mine coming begging me for what's on the bottom row. I've never had somebody come to me and just say, my toddler's over here. Could you take them? Could you... Maybe that's not true. I think I've had that happen before. But I have never had a toddler just walk up and grab me by the pants and say, can you buy this for me? Can you do this for me? Can you take me to my car? Can you provide this for me? You look like a nice man. No, because it's a foreign parent is not going to provide for their child. So when we think of ask, seek, and knock, do not think of a cosmic God. Think of a personal God who offered his son Jesus Christ as a payment for your sins and he knows what you need. So tug away, ask, pull, knock, ask, seek, knock. But he also knows this about us because he's our heavenly father. He knows when our intentions aren't pure. James says this in chapter 4 verse 3. He says, you do not, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. God knows our desires as we ask, as we seek, as we knock. But Romans 12, 1 and 2, we've gone over this passage numerous times. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see what Paul says in Romans is the more we become like Christ, the more we pursue his teaching, the more we're transformed by him, the more we're in line. And so we ask and we seek and we're We're asking and praying and seeking and knocking kingdom prayers because that's what he's been teaching us. But my truth and your truth is this. We persistently pray about what we believe is the greatest need to be met in our lives. That's not a bad thing. We persistently pray about the thing that we perceive as the greatest need in our lives. And know this as you do it. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? I want to remind you this morning, I think it's imperative today for us to address something. A necessity, really a prerequisite is a better word. If you've ever gone to sign up for a class at a community college or even high school, certain classes are closed to you because you haven't taken the class below that. It's a foundation. A necessity to ask, seek, and knock. A necessity to ask, seek, and knock is a relationship to Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? A necessity, a prerequisite to ask, seek, and knock is a relationship to Jesus Christ. We don't go to a foreign God and ask, seek, and knock. We go to a personal God. And this morning, if you have not given your life to Jesus, surrendered yourself to him, acknowledged him as your Savior, then who are you asking? Who are you seeking? What God are you knocking on? If not the one that comes through, Jesus says, the way, the truth, the life through Jesus Christ. Who are you asking? I want to charge you to ask yourself to enter a relationship with Jesus Christ and for him to be your father. From Roman history comes the story of a Roman emperor who His chariot was a part of a parade cheering people lined the streets while the guards were stationed to keep the people at a safe distance. What we would do now, keeping people at a safe distance. The emperor's family, though, sat on the platform to watch him go by with the pride of his position. As the emperor came near the place where the family was stationed, a young boy jumped up from the platform, burrowed down through the crowd, and tried to dodge a guard so he could run to the emperor's chariot. The soldier stopped him and said, son, you cannot go near the emperor. And the boy laughed. He may be your emperor, but he is my father. He is the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all that is, who makes the sunrise and the sunset, who makes the storms come and the storms go, but he is my father. Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. He knows what you need anyway. So so back to the earlier question. What's the need? What is truly on your heart this morning? So corporately, let's ask this question again. Ask. What is my greatest spiritual, physical, and or emotional need what is it the Lord is not afraid of your ask he knows your greatest need this is us putting ourselves into an honest relationship with a heavenly father what is my greatest spiritual physical emotional need the end of our first service the physical need was prayer for cancer it's a real need What's spiritual? You're searching, you're looking, you're lost. You're wandering spiritually. You've been distanced from the faith. You've never had faith. What what is it? Emotionally, you're, you're just, you're done. You're zapped. You're drained. You're downtrodden. What is your greatest need? And with that need, start seeking. But not simply to say, Lord, here's my need, here it is. But then begin to seek. What role do I need to play to align myself to his answer? This is so important. Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about us conforming to the things of the Lord. To drawing into who he is. Yes, the Lord knows and we may ask and seek and the Lord provides, but at times we've got to be aligned to be ready to prepare for it, don't we? We've got to seek. Does it mean we've got to align ourselves by becoming a student of his word? We've never been. Does it mean we've got to be a part of a Sunday school group? Does it mean we need to be a part of fellowship, even of a choir? Yeah. Yeah. Being a part of fellowship of believers doesn't mean making yourself a, a member here by saying, man, I, I, just, I need to align myself. I've got church hurt, and i got to align myself, and this is tough. What role can I play to align myself to your answer? God, I'm praying. What role do I need to play to align myself to your answer? And knock, boldly, persistently plead for God to reveal these things to you. Asking, I'm broken. You know what I need. You are a good heavenly Father, surpassing any of the broken Father examples we have of this world. You are a good Father. Reveal to me the needs that I have, the brokenness spiritually. Am I surrendered to Jesus Christ, my Savior? If I'm not, I need to surrender to Him. If I'm not seeking Him with my heart, soul, and mind. Or if I've just knocked once and and I've not stayed to listen to a God who promises to open the door. Ask, seek, and knock. This morning during our response, I, I really want you to just zoom in on that need. Just zoom in on that prayer this morning. That burden that you're carrying. Ask, seek, knock. He is a Father who knows your greatest need. Let's pray.